0: Hello, hello! I'm Pat King, a staff writer for Ears to Feed. For this week's episode of In Conversation, I spoke with Slim Moon, the founder of the Essential Pacific Northwest label Kill Rock Stars. This year, the label is celebrating its 30th anniversary, so I was thrilled to be able to talk to him about its incredible history. Over the years, the label has released important records by artists, such as Bikini Kill, Elliot Smith, Sleater Kinney, Unwound, and more experimental releases on the KRS spinoff label 5RC. You really can't overstate how important Slim and the label are to the DNA of American underground music. We also touch on his brief exit from the label and what the future holds for Kill Rock Stars. We take this conversation over two separate Zoom calls, so I apologize for the slight break midway through. Nevertheless, it was a great conversation and I hope you enjoy. doing this podcast with us this I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you and get to um you know kind of go through uh one of my favorite labels uh, kill rock stars so yeah thanks thanks again awesome Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so um i i guess you know to kind of shy away from a typical origin story of the label um or just you know the the beginnings of the label um I'd, I thought I'd started off by asking you, do you remember a time when you the time when you kind of transitioned from being a casual listener to wanting to get involved with music in a certain way?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think I, I always have a tendency to make a short story long. I mean
0: <laughs> if,
1: well, I came free. in I, yeah in terms of involvement, I guess the my initial tiny bit of involvement I came in sideways when I was. In high school I was writing sort of prose poems and they were really sound oriented but but and so like I didn't like showing them to people because I didn't think they'd read them right and um, then I stumbled into a Jesse Bernstein reading and was like that's what I want to do and I what I excitedly went up to him after he was done reading and told him, hey, I've been writing these things and I haven't known what they're for, but now I realize I really should perform them out loud because that's how they will sound right. And then he invited me to open for him his next reading. And so I was doing spoken word as a teenager as I was discovering underground music. And when I came to Olympia, uh, the first five years I was in Olympia, I was in bands, but I also had this spoken word niche where I was opening for bands doing spoken word. And I, the first, so I even I also in terms of putting on shows, I came in it through the side by the first shows I put on were spoken word shows, and um, only after doing that a bit did I start to feel confident to put on rock shows. And the uh, so, my first thing was spoken word. Then I started putting on rock shows. I put out a cassette of my own band so I guess that's the first release I ever put out you know I probably sold 10 copies and then a third time I came into the to it sideways because I started a record label to put out spoken word seven inches and then six months later kind of got inspired got talked into putting out rock records as well
0: right yeah like that like I, I love um in, in a lot of ways, you know, spoken word, I, I feel is, is kind of, it's like the next step that, so, so the punk rock is stripping away excess from rock and roll at the time, but then post-punk is stripping away even more. And then I, I feel like spoken word, like John Cooper Clark and, and things like that, it's, it's like almost pulling things back even further. And I, I love, I love the the, the term you kind of coined uh, word core. Like I yeah. love, I love, I love that. Like, I mean, did it, did it seem kind of like, could you see within the Olympia scene that that was kind of like a, um, was it well accepted or, or well-recepted at the time or?
1: Well, you know, Olympia had this reputation of being a clicky scene that was hard to, hard to find entry into um, for newcomers, but, you know, in hindsight, it was actually super easy to, to feel embraced by the scene. If you were doing anything, if you put on shows, if you had a band, if you made the zine, if you were an activist, um, if you, you know, started a pop-up store, if you were a photographer, if you were, if you were doing something, it was, then people were super enthusiastic to be supportive, but people who moved to Olympia or who came to college there or whatever, who like went to all the shows, but that's all, that's all they were is just sort of a fan, sometimes found it really hard to make friends among the cool people. (laughs) Right. Um, and so I already forgot what the question was, but I, um, w- what was the question? Because oh yeah,
0: sure. No, I I guess I guess was um, like was what you were doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, open opening for bands was was it well recepted Well yeah. received. Yeah, you know, one?
1: people li- people in Olympia really liked um, like the kind of the culture of the scene was was doing things new and different or kind of breaking the unwritten rules of what's acceptable and not acceptable. So you know, having a modern dance open for punk rock or having spoken word open for punk rock or having a folk, acoustic folk open for punk rock, all of that was like a thing people would get excited about in Olympia, you know? And then, but then the same lineup of bands would go play a three-band bill in Seattle and the dancers and the spoken word people opening for the punk rock band would get booed, you know? Um, It was a different, Olympia was just kind of a different place for being really enthusiastically supportive of that kind of stuff
0: yeah was was the line kind of drawn between uh i I guess like what was going on in olympia and the stuff that was going on in seattle like sub pop was it pretty apparent like
1: yeah um you know i think that the 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 fun break all the rules scene was a south of seattle phenomenon where it was different in tacoma it was different in olympia and the tacoma's and the Olympia scene's loved the Aberdeen bands like Melvins and, and um, Nirvana, but Seattle was before Sub Pop, or I mean before Sub Pop was a record label. Um, when I when I was I went to high school in Seattle, and at that time the all ages scene was just like a zillion hardcore bands, um, and then there and then there was a scene of sort of the proto. Grunge bands like the grunge, who, the, the 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 musicians who kind of like turned turned into grunge, who um and they sort of straddled the all ages scene and the bar scene and would play both, um you know like Green River and the Accused and um, Room Nine and um, Soundgarden, uh, but it was all both of those scenes, the sort of proto grunge scene and the uh, the um, the hardcore scene were really serious, but in, well, no, the, 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 grunge scene was a little bit like a little bit afraid to take itself too seriously. So it would sort of mock itself, but it still felt it was serious because it was like a drug scene, you know, and it may, it was serious in that way. Like everybody, they, they might mock themselves, but they also were trying desperately to be really cool. And um, and and it was a kind of a cool drug scene, like you know, one in my you know everybody was trying to be Iggy Pop or something. Um, and, but the hardcore scene was just super serious, you know. Um, so when I left Seattle and went to Olympia, and it was just way more fun and way more encouraging of doing odd things and breaking the rules, breaking the unwritten rules, and a broader notion that punk rock was 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 breaking those rules were not just that it hadn't hardened into certain sounds and musical genres um uh yeah
0: right right and and i'm, I'm sure you know when you moved up to to olympia you were you're meeting people like calvin and and being around beat happening and, and stuff like that, right? Or is is my timing correct? No, on that's, that? exactly no. Right. Yeah. that's exactly
1: right. That's exactly right. The you know the I met Calvin in the first year I was there. The beat happening's first album came out around that time. Um, the first seven, the first seven inch I ever bought was a beat happening record because a, when I was a teenager and I the first time I made a foray to and found a, the cool independent record store the clerk suggested it and so I, I bought it I hadn't heard of them or anything and then then I saw them the first time I they happened to play at the Tropicana in Olympia the first time I went to a show in Olympia um so yeah when I moved to Olympia I met be happening but you know I think by the time I even I came in 86 and I think you know, Beat Happening didn't all live even that early, Beat Happening didn't all live in Olympia anymore. Um, Brett and Heather had moved away, or Brett had moved away, and Heather moved away quite soon after that. But they were sort of the king, the kings and queens of the scene for sure. Um the, but the band most highly revered that was a south of Seattle band was the Melvins at that point. You know, they were the real kings of the scene. Right. But Calvin was Calvin and K Records were so such an important integral part of that thing of being super supportive of what other people were doing, you know. If you, you'd start a new band, somebody would start a new band and he'd be putting them on as the first band on a bill for their, you know, right away, you know, like really encourage young people and shy people to to do to get their freak on, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, he is he is such like the prototype you know, creative person or, or like shy person that was able to break through into, or, or at least like putting in the hours of, of, you know, being in front of people and and kind of relishing in front of an audience. Like it, it, he is such like a, like, I I can, I can only imagine just being around that was encouraging for you to start, you know, KRS in the beginning.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Kay was an inspiration for, 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 kill rock in general and then also he gave me specific assistance and advice on the first couple records that made it made me get over that feeling that i didn't know how to do it you know and there wasn't when i started i don't think the the simple machines you know not long after i started simple machines put out a little zine sized booklet about how to start a record label but um when I started really the only way was for somebody who knew how to do it to tell you, you know, just the things of like where to buy the plastic bags and where to get it mastered and what, where, how, what lacquers are and um, where to get it pressed and um, where to get jackets printed and everything like that. Calvin helped me with all that stuff.
0: Right. And, and, and the first seven inch that, that was with um, Kathleen Hannah. How how did that friendship start?
1: can't quite remember. Um, you know I Ka- Kathleen moved to town after me and she came to go to college. so did I. You know, there was a little bit of a distinction, not a big one, but a little bit of a distinction between evergreen student members of the scene and ex-evergreen student members of the scene who had chosen to stay and townies who really were the punk rockers that had just grown up there, you know? And um, so she, 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 like uh, like me, she came for Evergreen, but she was, but like me, she got involved in the scene and was doing photography shows and had a couple bands. And um, so she was doing spoken word and I think she, and so it was just a natural, I didn't feel, I didn't really didn't want to start a record label just to put out, out myself. myself. I, In retrospect, I wish I wasn't on the first record at all. It was kind of a compromise. I listened to advice a lot and somebody said, no, you need to do, you're the guy who does all the spoken word at Olympia. You should be on the, that record. But I felt too humble to be, to have it just, to have the first thing I put out just be a record of me. So what I did was have it be a split where I was on one side and then the most dynamic other spoken word person in town, I asked to be on the other side, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and, and I guess like, um, you know, putting out Bikini Kill um, singles and records, I mean, was that, um, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to see that band become what they were and, and be around them. I mean, that must've been so exciting.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I was really good friends with Toby and, you know, Toby was a, was a local she wasn't a greener she had parents who were very into music so she grew up playing drums and then she got involved and was in bands at a really young age and started doing zines in high school and um she was in a band with calvin called the go team that was just a terrific band and i really love i was one of the i was like their biggest fan and um just the other day i found the, the thank you note that K Records sent me when I was the very first subscriber to their singles club, for instance, because they tried to do this thing of putting out 12 singles in a year, but they only managed to get nine out. But still, I was the first subscriber. And um then Toby went to did go to college in Eugene, and there she met Billy Karen, who had played in Snake Pit, which was sort of the hometown heroes of, in Eugene. And Billy ended up moving back to Olympia and then, then they met Kathy who was a Evergreen student. And, um, but you know, they were all great musicians, really interesting people, really good ideas. But then they, when they added Kathleen, actually Kathleen was, you know, Kathy was the last person in the band. Kathleen was playing bass at first. And then when they added, so when they, adding Kathleen really... It was way better than the other bands Kathleen had been in. Um, but it also put a front person who was real, a real front person, you know? And um, so I guess that's a long-winded of say, way of saying, I knew these people were all great. I knew what they could be capable of. But, you know, some of the great people I've known never found that band that where everything clicked and the sum became more than the the... the than the parts you know but that so it was very exciting when they all came together and clicked um, because all of their previous bands had been good but then they they were great
0: yeah and and it was so I mean that that kind of reunion run that I think is still ongoing is it's it's just so great to kind of see you know this just deserved kind of um, reverence for that band like I, I feel like it's so great like, I, was was that just kind of a, I mean, was that a moment, a, a special moment for you to kind of see these crowds and and kind of see how far they came?
1: Yeah, but it was no surprise, you know. Yeah. Um, they, you know, it's, I've come to think of it in these terms, seeing that some of the records we put out 30 or 25 years ago still sell and others, Although we make them, we make many of them still be available. There, they only sell like one a month. You know, to the the entire world, there's just one person a month buying. Um, for instance, like a Slim Moon spoken word album. Um, the the ones that, but the ones that keep selling sometimes start selling even better. So I, I've started thinking of them as generational. You know. Um, new fans young fans are discovering them and for all we know in 30 more years another you know that generations young fans will be discovering them you know um but yeah. they were they were a generational band that deserved that are it's that it's great and it's makes sense that young fans are discovering them and giving giving them props and being really excited to see them
0: yeah, I, I mean with with this year being the 30th anniversary of of Kill Rock Stars. I mean, have you been able to kind of I I guess that must be an interesting kind of thing to see, you know, do you have you been able to see like different points in time in the label get um I I guess get rediscovered over over, over certain you know as as decades pass or something like that? Have you I guess looking back now on, on 30 years, like, um, is, is it insane to you to kind of see it, it work in a cycle like that? Like, you know, just, uh, I guess the appreciation grow and grow for, for artists that maybe, you know, didn't sell in the beginning.
1: Yeah. You know, it's really easy to, to, to get stuck in the negative, you know, like, also, uh, well, there's two lessons that I can sort of address in, a, in by way of answer. It's really exciting to see that people are listening to Elliot Smith and people are listening to Bikini Kill, and um, but but then on the negative side, like I am surprised that there isn't more interest in excuse 17 and heavens to Betsy, you know, people Slater Kinney is still out there and still have a lot of fans. And to me, it would seem natural that some of those fans would want to hear what those women did before they were in that band. Um, but, uh, So I'm I'm surprised that that those records aren't that there isn't more curiosity or more those records aren't more popular that those bands don't stream as much as you might think you know so it's really easy for me to get stuck in the negative in that way Um, but on the other hand the the song the Bradmobile song Cool Shmuel has become a surprise hit on TikTok and therefore a surprise hit on on the streaming it's one it's it's like our third biggest song in our whole catalog now.
0: Yeah. 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 They've, they've, that, that record potty mouth, I feel like is, has, you know, become this, I I mean, rightfully so it's, it's become this classic and it it feels like it's kind of getting that status, you know, it, it kind of gained that status over the last couple of years. It's, it's, were you, were you surprised by that? Like the TikTok sensation?
1: Yeah. I mean, they deserve it. So there's this little, part of you that feels not surprised because you're like yeah that makes sense they deserve it they they it is a great song they are a great band why wouldn't young people connect with this even though and it's it's a garage band sound that in some sense is timeless you know like it could have come from the 90s or it could have come from the 60s or it could come from now um so but yeah it's a surprise i mean who even knew tiktok was coming before it was here you know it's <laughs> yeah even just tiktok is a surprise you know
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and and I know what you mean about that record. I mean, I I listened to it this morning again for the first time in a while and it's it's just I I I don't know how you can not want to like go beat up a drum kit after hearing that <laughs> record, you know, just like try your best to beat up a drum kit, you know? Yeah. But um yeah, I I mean with you kind of touched on it before like it it seems like you know, every, every year or so, there's just a new, a a brand new legion of, of Elliot Smith fans, you know, coming, coming into the fold. I mean, with, with someone like Phoebe Bridgers, you know, kind of leading the way right now for younger people, kind of like bringing down that influence. Um, I mean, was that, I I guess early on seeing Elliot, did you, was there kind of this, like, um, I I guess with like Heat Miser and his, his solo stuff, was there something special about him at first? Like, did you, was it, was it easy to see?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, um, it just wasn't like there were people who played solo, but they Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, he just did everything better. You know, he, he, he was a terrific guitar player. The melodies were incredible, you know, on his recordings, the harmonies were great, but also he kept it rough and raw and, and gritty. Um, he went against the instincts that folk guitar players usually have to make everything really pretty, you know, like it's pretty and gritty at the same time, instead of just drench it in reverb and make it as pretty as possible. You know, so, so, and he could, you know, usually when a solo guitar, when somebody who's solo acoustic, just voice and guitar plays in a bar and it's not their crowd, people talk over it and it's a really frustrating experience. But he, he you know, he always, even before people knew who he was and whatever, he always had that ability to silence the room, you know, and get people listening, even people who are drinking, even people who weren't his fans. So yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, you always you always hear people trying to anoint like the new Dylan, the new Towns Van Zandt, the new Joni Mitchell, someone right. like that. But but I feel like as time goes on, we're, we're starting to see people anoint the new Elliot Smith or something yeah. like that. Like he yeah. he is such a singular voice and a singular songwriter.
1: I mean, right. I, I, he combined a bunch of different um, uh, influences. But if I had said he was the new anything back then, I would have said he was the new Nick Drake, you know? Um, Because he was just, he had a, he had a vibe, you know, even if the guitar playing maybe came more from, I don't know, George Harrison or something or, and you know, big star, in a lot of ways, the if you had to make a comparison, like of the niche, he was, he was working in. It it was like, it was the Nick Drake was super unique in his time, even if there were all these songwriters and Elliot was probably closest to that niche, you know?
0: Right. Um, so, so you brought up Heaven to before, um, I, I guess, you know, they were, they were such a great band and I, I know, uh, the first couple sleater kinney releases were on on chainsaw what what was what was it like kind of working with them to to release really dig me out and and how did that relationship come come together
1: yeah um you know i had put i had put out excuse 17 and heavens to betsy and thought of them as bands on our roster and wanted to have ongoing relationships with those bands so Corin and Carrie started this band. I mean, they went to Australia. They recorded with a drummer they barely knew. And they asked me if I wanted to put it out. And I, you know, money was really limited in those first few years. And I passed, I was like, I I really am more interested in people's primary projects, not their side projects, you know? (laughs) So they ended up working with Chainsaw and um, those, you know, that side project became both of them, both Carrie and Korn's prominent, you know, primary project. And then after a while, they came back and, you know, Dig Me Out was that first record. So, you know, the, the last Chainsaw record actually got a lot of attention Um, so dig me out was one of those situations where we knew that it was going to be a a big deal. Sometimes like the either or record we didn't know was going to be a big deal because Elliot Smith hadn't really sold that well. Sometimes you don't know it, but sometimes you, you, you do know it. And you, so you set it up that way, knowing, oh, there's a lot of anticipation for this record. Right. I mean, it was, I I think it ended up being a bigger deal than we thought, but, but we knew there was a lot of anticipation, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean they're they're just so undeniably great. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kidding. Me. Um so I I'm I'm really interested about um uh kind of your decision making around um creating like a new avenue for releases with 5RC. Um especially for for bands like um like Deerhoof and Shushu. Uh what what was that kind of um what 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 was what was kind of the reason for uh, releasing under a different name other than Kill Rockstars?
1: Well, I started 5RC kind of because, well, I've I, I largely started it because the Dear, the first deer have record sold really bad and the Thrones record sold really bad. And I realized like we've asked the Kill Rockstars fan base to to accept quite a wide variety from Unwound to Bikini Kill to um Elliot Smith to f- Mary Lou Lord um and the spoken word of Juliana Luking and uh, Wichi Poo but it was obvious the the sort of like free not really jazz but just free music of Deerhoof's first record was like a bridge too far for the you know yeah and um and the, the heavy sludge of the Thrones record was like a bridge too far. And, but I was like, you know, there's a, I believed there was a fan base for that kind, for the, the sort of more avant garde and experimental music that I wanted to put out. And so I, I felt like that um, just having a new re- label that just did that would work. And I had, you know, it took some convincing to convince bands that it wasn't going to be a ghetto. Because KRS did have some name for itself. And to put them on a on a label that had a more ambitious, more difficult mission. Um, like, you know, be successful with avant-garde music. And I also, I really, really loved Atari Teenage Riot at that time. And there were a few bands here and there that were starting to sound like that. And so I'll be honest, when I started 5 C, I I thought we were going to sign a bunch of bands that sounded like that. But you know, sometimes when a great new idea comes along, there are a lot of imitators or a lot of people inspired by it, and sometimes it just nobody matches the original. And I feel like I just didn't encounter the bands I expected that were in that ATR vein. Um, but instead, we encountered these terrific bands like Hella and and Shushu, and then Deerhoof really changed and. Added new guitar players and, you know, just became this incredible force. So Five RC ended up doing pretty well, uh, largely because of those three bands: Shishu, Hella, and Deerhoof.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I really think that's so funny. You you brought up Atari Teenage Riot. I've been I've been watching so many clips of them online lately, just because oh, yeah. I've been craving crazy live settings. <laughs> so, yeah. like, there there really is has not been a band. That has sounded like them since. I don't think. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> when I started Fiber C, I thought, okay, we'll do this avant-garde and experimental label, and the you know the records will be more like you know in 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 baseball scouting, they have a term what a player's floor is and what their ceiling is. So some people have a high, some players have a high floor. So they like, even if nothing were, even if they don't become stars, they're still decent there. It's almost sure that they will be decent, decent players, you know, and some players have a high ceiling where if everything comes together, then there might be a star, you know? So there's some people with a high floor and a high ceiling and some people with a, with a, low floor and a high ceiling like if it comes together there'll be a star but if it doesn't come together they won't even play in the major leagues anyways i felt like um the 5rc bands would have a lower floor um and i think i also thought they had a lower ceiling but i was but you know uh, several of the bands uh five hella and shushu and Deerhoof and um did did better than i imagined when i was setting up that label i didn't expect to have bands any bands on the label received like that you know right i thought it'd be more like this will be a weird label for the weirdos who like weird stuff you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so but on the other hand you know um bands like get hustle and godzik like pink and replicants and things we had some other bands on there that did about it, it like it worked that they, I think they did better on 5RC than if we had just snuck them out as Rock Rockstars releases, but they still weren't, you know, you know, in, in a lot of cases, what we were doing at both labels wasn't about popularity. It was just about feeling that we were putting out really great, important, worthwhile records. And so some of those other bands didn't sell as well, but we were still really proud of the records, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. Um. So one of my, one of my favorite bands, Uh and, and a band, I, I, I feel like, I, I don't know why I associate them so much with rainy days, but any, any, anytime there's like a torrential downpour here in Brooklyn, I always, I always reach for my, um, my unwound box sets. Like I always uh-huh. like break those out. Um, what was, I, I guess, like, what was the, what was the feeling around that band in the beginning, um, in, in around Olympia? I mean, they, they just were such a force like were they kind of this exciting thing that everyone was kind of um, I guess gathering around like were they like what what was the I guess what what was the feeling around that band
1: in the early days well I think I talked about um, you know the difference between the sort of local kids who went to high school there and were born and raised there who got into bands on the scene versus the kids who came to go to evergreen which was the alternative college there um so i I really i think that unwound well actually giant henry there was a you know they were a high school band called giant henry and carp was at the same time Uh, giant henry and carp were seen as the really most exciting local bands probably since you know in the Mid '80s, there were some bands like Pet Products and um, Volume Thirteen, and um, well, especially Pet Products, I think. But so, but um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. There were several really great local bands in the '80s, and great Evergreen bands in the '80s before anybody, before like the the national, before. Too early to get a chance to put out records that got nationally distributed before national attention. But anyways, the unwound and carp were generally seen by people in town, in the Olympia scene as the most exciting local, born and bred Olympia bands to come along in this long time or maybe ever. And but unwound was originally called Giant Henry, and then they broke up when their drummer. Well, no, they they broke up because their drummer didn't want to do it, but then they got back together. He decided that he did want to do it. They got back together. They wrote wrote entirely new songs and played their first show billed as Cygnus X-1. Um, and I saw that show and was, was floored by the new songs. You know, you'd seen the talent in Giant Henry, but the new songs were just year, years ahead of the songwriting in Giant Henry. And, so I, I decided that then and there that I wanted to put out rock records and not just spoken word after all. and that's But then I came up with a whole scheme. I was like, if I just put out a, a Cygnus X1 album, nobody's going to buy it because nobody's heard of them. Nobody's heard of my record label. I don't even have a distributor. So I came up with this whole scheme to do a compilation and sell it at the International Pop Underground Conference because it would be a good way to expose. Really, literally, I thought of the whole 14-song compilation largely as a vehicle to get some attention for Unwound. And um, so they, it turned out that Cygnus X1 was just sort of a name. They they just came up with a random name because they needed something to go on the flyer. But because I was basically signing them to my record label, they had to do some hard thinking and came up with the name Unwound as their permanent name. so that's a story that you didn't ask for. But, answer to your question, people were super excited about Giant Henry and super excited about Unwound as local heroes. You know, a lot of people also were super excited about CARP. They were sort of the twin local heroes of the band, of the, of the town. And then there was another trio called Fits of Depression that was totally local. They'd been around a, for a few years before those other bands. and they were also much beloved, but they were more, they were kind of more hardcore and less on the sort of indie rock, punk rock side. I mean, like Carp was most like Melvin. All three bands had Melvin's influence, but Carp was most like Melvin's. Fits of Depression was most like the hardcore band that Melvin's had started as. And Unwound had Melvin's influences, but still were like more like Sonic Youth or something. Um Right, yeah, that was a I, long I, meandering answer. To
0: you. <laughs> oh no, I loved it. I loved it. Um, yeah, they're 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 totally just one of my. I, I think over over the last five years, I've just become totally immersed and and kind of obsessed with their catalog, and and was was a band that, you know, I was I was hoping would reunite one day, but it was it was so sad to hear about Vern's passing. Yeah. Um, were you? Um, I, I guess uh, when. Were you, how involved were you with the um, the Numero box sets that, that came out? The kind of
1: I was not involved at all. Uh, I was out of the music business at that time. And Portia, my partner, was running the label, um, but I think her main involvement was just giving the blessing. You know, yes, you guys can. Like we, you know, Kill does not does not have expertise in reissues. Numero does. It's pro. We agree. It'll be better for you guys probably to have Numero do something like that. You know, we maybe we maybe people like Kill Rock Stars help look for old tapes, but um and old photos. But um that's all. It was really a love project between the Numero people and the, and the unwound members. You know.
0: Yeah. And and what was your decision behind um leaving the music industry and and kind of um kind of leaving kill Rockstars to to porsche at the time
1: right well the, they happened five years apart i left kill rock stars to go i was really tired of being the boss and i thought i found a situation where i thought i could sign bands and really just focus on that part that i loved signing bands and helping them make great records and maybe having some input in the marketing um and I, that thought, that, I that felt that I could such, go do right, that, right. but not have to be a boss anymore, you know? And that was at Nonesuch, but that ended up only lasting eight months. And then I got offered another job within the same family of labels at Ricoh Disc. And I worked there for another something like eight months. And then I quit because it wasn't... I loved my boss at Ricoh Disc, but it just wasn't the right situation for me. And um, so then I had been doing management... Sort of at the same time as the last few years of Kill Rock Stars and while I was at Ryko Disc. Um, not, at nuns, not while I was at Nonsuch because they didn't, didn't allow it. But um, so I just concentrated on management for like four, four or five years. And then I decided I wanted to go back to school, get my bachelor's degree, get, my, get a master's degree in um, divinity, and try to get ordained as a Unitarian minister. Um, so I did that for eight years and, um, then right toward the end, I didn't, I decided not to finish up. I never got ordained and I was kind of spinning my wheels, trying to figure out what was next when Portia got offered a cool new job. She left, she wanted to leave the label. So she offered, she said, why don't you take it over? Which was what had happened when I left. I had said, why don't you, I said to her, why didn't she take it over? So she's already handed it back.
0: Right. And, and I, I guess, um, so, so were you uh, a minister for a while? You, you were, were you doing that? Yes, I did the work. Yeah.
1: I did the work of ministry for two and a half years, but I, um, never, I'm not ordained. You can't call me Reverend Moon, you know, but I, I got the education and I did the work. So I'm sort of like. Almost, I mean, almost qualified to be a pastor, you know?
0: (laughs) Did, did you enjoy that work?
1: Love it. Yeah. 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 I've had Lyme disease for almost 20 years and I was really going through a period of chronic fatigue at the same time that I was finishing up grad school and being an intern minister. And it just felt like it was too hard. I loved it, but, but I didn't have the energy for it. Um, I, I rationalize going back to the music business because it's the job I know best. So in some ways it's not as hard for me, but it also turned out that my genius naturopath figured some things out. And that after 10 years of moderate results from my treatment, the last two years we've had fantastic results. And so I'm, I'm, I'm either cured or nearly cured. I'm, I'm in a really good, I'm in a really good place right now compared to most of the last 20 years with my health, which is great. Oh,
0: that's great. Are are you, um, I, I guess in, in a sense, like how are, how are you um, kind of treating it day to day? Is it changing diet and changing just?
1: Yeah, I've been through so many sort of phases. There was a time when I really had to con- really, really, really eat super clean and avoid a whole bunch of foods that I had reactions to. And I've had to take for years, I've had to take lots of supplements to replace things that. The fight against it has been stripping out of my body and also to to help my immune system and also lots of medications to kill the bacteria you know the the spirochete bacteria are just super hard to kill um so i was on antibiotics for four or five years and then then i was on a a cocktail of antibiotics and anti-malarial and anti-leprosy and then I was on this crazy drug that they used to give to alcoholics because it makes you really sick if you even drink a thimble full of alcohol. Uh, and But they have discovered in the last few years that it's really good at killing the Borrelia Lyme disease bacteria. So that was really what did it. I've been feeling terrific ever since I got off that drug, which is called Antibus or Disulfiram. You can cut this stuff out of the out of the, when you edit, if it's
0: (laughs) no, no, it's, it's it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm happy you're doing better. That's, that's so great. Um, so, so I guess, so when, when did you, um, kind of come back into the fold with, with, um,
1: KRS? I guess it was September of 2019. So about a year and a half ago.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Like I, I really love, um, the kind of shift it's it's great to see kind of like, like the full circle progression of of starting as like a as spoken word releases and then kind of the shift in the label to going to releasing a bunch of comedy records like i feel like so many of the I so many of the comedy records have been some of my favorites you know over the last 10 years like i i love kurt Bronner and Hari kondabulu like like i i guess what was what was the decision i guess what was the decision making into going into comedy records.
1: That was all Portia. You know, she, um, it started with Hari because he was a fan of some of the bands on our label and somebody put him together with Portia. And then um, it also, it either started with him or actually I think it started with Kurt. But I know those those two were the first ones, you know. And then once she'd done a couple, in some cases she reached out to some of her favorite comedians, and in other cases they reached out to her. And um, almost every single comedian that she started talking to ended up working with her. I think there was only one that kind of made a handshake agreement to make a comedy record, but just never did, not for us or for anybody else, because they were more of a TV writer. And um, so that was all Portia. I really want to do that too, but I'm just not as connected. so we're working on a different, we may have third, like when we're working on a plan for third party a where I'm not the person who signs the comedy records, we hire somebody else to do that, but we're, we haven't done that yet. So, cause I want to keep doing comedy for sure.
0: Right. Right. So I, I guess um, now that you're back, you know, it, it's, it's been a couple of years now. Um, I, I guess, do you feel, since it's been 30 years, do you feel kind of, like you're having like a new fresh start with the label. Like, does it feel like? Um, I, I, I guess, what do you see the future being for Kill Rock Stars? And and I, I guess, like, how how have you been? Um, how have things been different this time around? Well,
1: um, I, you know, I think Portia was doing a great job with Kill Rock Stars, but you know, her focus in the last few years. I think could be summed up, you know, there's always exceptions to this, but it could sort of be summed up as she was working with a lot of comedians and she was working with a lot of veteran musicians, you know, folks who had been around since the eighties or nineties, um, like filthy friends, all those people were in bands that started, they first started putting out records in the eighties and nineties, Cindy Wilson from, you know, B-52 started in the eighties, um, et cetera. Kinski, who'd been around for a long time, Total Veterans, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I I'm a I have come on and signed some bands for their debut records or for their second album, which is super typical. Like most of what most of where we started with people's careers in on most of the Kill Rockstars records of the 90s and early aughts. If you look at it, we, we mostly put out debut records and second records, you know, some some few we came in on their third record or their fourth record or something. But so I'm kind of back to that, you know, starting with bands early on in their careers and um, seeing how it goes. And I'm trying to. You know, I don't want to just sign bands that sound like our bands from the 90s. I want to sign bands that are sort of contemporary and relevant, but I also want to stick with the values and genre that we were you know we're not going to become an electronic label or um uh other you know so it's what i what i'm hoping is that the records we put out feel familiar but don't feel retro and i think with mita and mittens and telenovela and Tamara affic and Techie Techie that we have, that so far I feel pretty good that we're accomplishing that, you know? I think those fans feel super vital and current, but also make sense in the fabric of the whole history of the label.
0: Nice. Well, well, Slim, thanks so much for, you know, hopping on and doing a part two. This was this was such a huge thrill for me. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. All
0: right, All right. take care. All right,
1: have a thanks. good weekend. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. You too.